What's poppin' everybody? This is Logan Murdoch from Real Ones, and I have some big news to share. On Saturday, February 18th, the Ringer NBA show will be hitting the road for All-Star Weekend for a live show in Salt Lake City. You heard that right. We are taping the pod in front of a live audience in Salt Lake next month, and we want you to join us. Pull up on us at the Stateroom in the heart of downtown Salt Lake. You can grab your tickets now at thestateroom.com. That's thestateroom.com. Doors open at 9 o'clock. Show is at 10. It's going to be a 21 and up event. Come hang with the gang and chat. Mid-season updates, draft preview, and even have a Q&A with us. Space is limited, so grab your tickets while they last at thestateroom.com or click the link in the description of this show. Hope to see y'all in there. It's the Ringer NBA show presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all in one page. Plus, start betting on the Explorer page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gambling. Please visit theringer.com backslash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 years and older and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit theringer.com backslash RG. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes, you know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. We want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away. Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side-by-side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. What's poppin'? Real ones. Logan Murdoch here. Roger Bell there. Roger, we have a friend of the show. I, he's been here probably more than you in the last, like, you know, <laughs> several months. Um, <laughs> we got, we had, it's, it, we're recapping the trade deadline, so we had to get the one and only Sam Amick, senior writer at The Athletic, to, to kind of just help us make sense of the, the trade deadline. Sam, how was the trade deadline for you in comparison to recent trade deadlines? Because this seemed like... When we look in a few years, this is something that we're going to look back on. Like this was a this this was a monumental time for the league and how, and and where it's going. It was a lot. It was a lot. What's good, gentlemen? Um, it was a lot. We talked offline for a minute about the buildup. I mean, it was slow for two months. You know what I mean? Like just no action in terms of talks and even the smallest things. You know, with all due respect to Matisse Thybul and. Even John Collins, like the people we were talking about were not high profile guys. And then the Kyrie thing, as you guys know, it 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 broke the dam and and we had fireworks, but I did not think we'd have the kind of star power that we ended up having. But it was that slow, slow, slow build and then eleventh hour last couple of days, you know, things go crazy. But but it was good. I told you I'm, I'm dragging a little bit. I was in LA for a couple of games and then I watched the uh the new Mavs up in Sacramento for a couple games. So it's been a, a good stretch. Man, I feel like, I, first of all, we're, for me, when we played, there was movement. But it was, you know, it almost felt like it was reluctant movement. Like, it feels like this new 
day and age of general managing owner, like they're they're ready to rock and roll. They're dealing. Like these cats are it, it just feels that way. I could be wrong, but it feels like as of late, maybe across the spectrum of sports, general managers are approaching it a little different, man. They're ready to swing. I, I want to get into the Kyrie since you were at the Kyrie, uh the games in Sacramento that Kyrie played with the Mavs, some of his first with the Mavs. I want to get to that in a second. But what I what I want to ask first, Sam, is and it's something that I've been thinking about over the weekend and and just as I'm reading and like kind of looking at the trades itself, a lot of second round picks and and, and draft picks being exchanged at a rate that I don't I, I can also ask Rajat that I don't think that I've seen before, right? Where you are maybe it's the sign of the times, but you, a lot of teams are giving away their future or giving away a lot of these things for these big time players or we're just seeing a lot a lot more willy-nilly trades of, of draft picks when they what is their importance in this day and age and why do we see so much movement on that front and what are teams looking for when they are trading these picks at such a rapid rate and we're seeing more of a like the second round picks which is something that historically have been easy to get you pay for a second round pick or you trade at the uh, on a trade deadline for one but now we're seeing them getting traded so much earlier what's is there a trend there what's the what where are we gonna where are we going right now with the with with that right now i mean i don't know exactly what to make of it other than you got the obvious that in terms of value contracts you know you got first and seconds the first you save for your stars in terms of star trades you know you got to put those in the cupboard if a kd becomes available if a a guy of that caliber becomes available um you know the seconds have become you know that thing where it's wild to me because all right the two-time mvp in denver was a second round pick you know, Raja, go back to your days. Manu Ginobili was a second-round pick. Draymond Green was a second-round pick. So there's part of me that looks at it and says, man, these things get treated like they're just nothing. And, you know, and they can pay off. Um, and, and that's where I think the teams that get them, of course, if they're building as far as the the value on the contract, you know, that gap between the the scale salary-wise of, of those first and seconds and then all of these max deals just gets wider and wider and wider over the course of the years with the cap going up and the league doing as well as it's doing. So, you know, the value is, is the interest to the teams that, that are going after them. Um, and it, you, you play the, the hand you're dealt, you know what I mean? And, and that's where you see these teams doing this. Hey, is there a deal? Is there, is there a move? I mean, aside from maybe, maybe KD or Kyrie, is there one that you like more than the rest or yeah, is there one that you think, I mean, just from an early prediction kind of standpoint that you say, yeah, that's, that, that was a good one. Well, I mean, Roger, my mind kind of goes to it's it's part of the fourteen Westbrook stuff. Um, Vanderbilt going to the Lakers, I you know it's it's a second level move, um, you know. But I to me, in part of it is I'm based near Sacramento, and I know the Kings were pretty disappointed that they didn't get Vanderbilt. They were in on that. They were trying to I think do two seconds, like we talk about the the second conversation. You know, Vanderbilt for them would have been a guy where they've got major defensive problems and and could have done some things for them, and I think he's going to help the Lakers. They go out, they beat the Warriors, granted, without Steph, and Lakers without LeBron, um, you know, but they have a, a nice show out in that first game. Um, I mean, that guy comes to mind. I just think, like, good player, two-way player, and a guy that, and that, it fits into the Lakers story, right? They have had to now pivot from trying to go all in on nothing but star power. The Westbrook thing obviously doesn't go well. They finally pivot away from that, and then now the way they're constructed with Vanderbilt being part of that is a lot 
more resemblant of what they did to win the title in 2020. You know, more depth, more role players, more guys mm-hmm. that complement each other. So I thought that yep. was a good one. So one of the things we talk about on the spot, and I'm glad you brought up the Lakers, Sam, because when at least from my vantage point, when when I see what the Lakers are tend are doing at least this season, we do know that LeBron is about titles, and if he could have it his way, he'd win a title this season. But it's not looking like that is going to happen. So it seems like with the moves of to get a Rui, right, to get a Vanderbilt, like you said, and to shed a Pat Bev and a and a Russell Westbrook, is this team gearing for? Um, I know that they want to get as far as they can in the playoffs, but is this team gearing to build out the rest of their team? get to the summertime, maybe get a star. Maybe that's Kyrie. Maybe that's someone else. Are they just trying to gear to get to next season where they can have a fully formed team? What is the what is the thinking behind the Lakers in this trade deadline? What do they want to do and what do they want to accomplish this season and beyond? Uh, to me, it starts with with kind of cleaning house right now. And and we kind of wrote about that. And it was, you know, I mean, listen, it is what it is. This job can be tricky sometimes. And so I don't love... You know, it was a not, not a real positive story that we had on on Russ and how toxic things got at the end. And one thing though to start there that I felt good about was like, listen, we we identified the situation as toxic, and the point being that it goes from Russ to everybody else. You know, we talked about the fact that you know people have different opinions, but LeBron tweeting about Kyrie the way that he did, talking about Kyrie the way that he did publicly, that it just created the kind of tension that for them was not something that they could sustain for the rest of the year. So they do this deal, you you clean house, and now you're looking forward. To your question, Logan, It's I think they position themselves well when it comes to the chance to see what they have with these new pieces, have a trial period for a couple of months, but then contract-wise, they're set up pretty well to just then make all those tricky decisions in the summertime. You know, do you do a new deal with Rui, with some of these other guys, or do you go back to the star route, create the cap room, bring Kyrie in and, and do something like that. They're they're pretty flexible when the summertime comes around, but I also think it's really important as far as all the different relationships still being okay is like LeBron has to look at them and say, okay, like you hustled and you, you got some stuff done here and you didn't just leave me twisting in the wind with the same exact team. You know, I mean, we'll see when he starts playing again, but, but they got some work done. Well, th- hey, that's interesting to me because, Sam, we talked about it I mean, maybe a few weeks ago, it was kind of a similar conversation about minus minus the championship run. What do you do um, as an organization for, for for LeBron, right? Because you got to do something for him, right? And right, right, right. that's that's kind of what I landed on. Was like, look, this isn't going to maybe we it might not be right now, but we will be doing whatever we can do by way of taking swings, manipulating the roster, creating the flexibility, so that so that you can see what we're trying to do, right? Like we're not just going to, you can never be stationary with him. It can't be right. a, 100%. Hey, we're in pause mode while, while and, and just bear with us. Like he's not going for that shit. So it's always got to be, look, here's how we're moving. What it might feel like it's neutral, but we are, we're consistently moving and shaking to try to, to put pieces around you. I, I want to ask you both. Cause I've been on a seven on seven field all week and I, w- I really wasn't tapped in, but a sneaky one I kind of liked was, uh, my man Trent Redden and them down there with the Clippers, like in LA, like I, that the Eric Gordon and Bones uh, Bones Highland, like I, at least in my beautiful mind of what offense could look like and trying to guard everything that you could have on a court, that's crazy. No, I like it. I, I mean, first of all, Trent shout out is a good one. They got a, a loaded front office with the Clippers, and Trent does good work. And 
I think that the Gordon thing defensively, you know, he's he's given you a whole lot more than Luke Kennard. Some folks questioned, you know, you're losing that shooting, you know, with with Luke going out. That's a little tough. Bones, I think that's you make that deal every day of the week if you have a roster spot to tinker with because he's got a ton of talent, had gone a little sideways with the Nuggets organization. I think just different priorities and where they needed him to I mean, you can't have Bones Highland being you know, the guy you depend on most coming off the bench. You know, they needed to change things up there. So, no, I thought the Clippers had a good run. I mean, I I think the Clippers had a a really good trade deadline. However, but it doesn't matter, in my mind, what the Clippers do on the ancillary pieces because they need their stars to be good, right? As long as their stars are healthy, then they'll be fine, right? But, like, no matter what, how good they do as a front office, the questions comes back to, is Paul George going to be healthy enough? Is Kawhi going to be healthy um, down the stretch of seasons? And that's just the that's a tricky dynamic. Like how I guess that's my question to you, Sam. Like how do the Clippers continue to be able to, um, you know, not kick the can down the road? But how 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 are they going to be able to keep going through these seasons where every season seems the same? Right, where they're like, okay, we got Kawhi back. And healthy, we have Paul George back and healthy. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, we don't. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. But they will get back. How how long can they keep doing this, I guess? Because it always seems like it's a holding pattern with them. The the the, the ceiling is always could be very high, but then right. you always have the two stars where it's like, damn, can they get healthy and get right to be able to, you know, justify all the supplemental uh, pieces? I mean, they can't do it forever. I'm stating the obvious there, but I, I mean, as far as the mood, you know, there have been times during this season when I was around them a little bit, and you you feel that angst, you feel that impatience, and, and Ty Lue comes to mind. You know, there's a lot of folks who know Ty this year have been like, all right, this has been a really hard year for him. And one of the points that somebody made to me recently was that everybody kind of saw last season as a success because they did so much with the guys out. Um, and it feels like internally that might not be the way that it felt, be the way that it, you know, was perceived that this is not just, you know, a year this season of frustration, impatience at not having those guys that they didn't have any warm, fuzzy feelings about last year just because they did more than folks thought they could do without Kawhi and PG. Um, so you now have a, a longer runway of, of angst that they've kind of experienced as humans. And, and now you have the questions Going forward, I mean, Steve Ballmer is probably, you know, he's one of the most impatient guys in the league in terms of being an owner. And I'm looking contract-wise, you know, PG and Kawhi have got options in 24, 25. Um, You know, that's kind of around the corner. And in terms of roster construction and who they are as a team, that point guard situation continues to be an issue. You know, the fact that, and, and we'll see what happens here, but... Paul George is out there publicly talking about adding Russ, you know, and he obviously, yep. can, you know, rocks with him still, um, you know, shows you at minimum that like Paul thinks they need more and, and Paul's trying to recruit and get that thing done. And, you know, the other night they lose to the Mavs when they got Kyrie and, and no Luca and somebody on press row had said to me like, man, it's one of those games where you look at it. And it's like they the Clippers played pretty well but they lost, you know, and they, they've been playing well lately, but like they lost and they just look like they didn't have enough. And it, you know, it feels that way. I mean, you lightning in a bottle, if they have all these kind of circumstances come, you know, the right way at the right time in the playoffs, of course they, they can be championship caliber, but you know, it's so hit and miss with them. That's just so like the worst part in the league though, rise is to be in the middle, right? Like it's just, you don't, and that's where the Clippers are at this point. Right. Yeah, the worst the worst part is to be in the middle, but the even I mean, 
if you were to take it a step further would would be to have all of this like tangible talent all of these things that 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 should you know the teams are in the middle that don't have the stars like that's one thing right it's a bad place to be but when you've got that high end talent and it just for whatever reason, injuries or, you know, disconnect, whatever you have going on. If, it, if you stay in the middle with that, I mean, that's an even tougher spot to be in. And so it's not, you know, when you have that, it just, you, everything is under a, 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 a more intense microscope. The time feels like it's ticking quicker. You know, it's the same with LeBron. Like when you have him, it's a gift and a curse. You got a great talent, but that fucking clock starts moving like triple time. Do you know what I mean? So like, you're like, Hey yeah. man, we got to get this shit right. And so, when I hear you talk about T. Lou and inside the building, you know, maybe not feeling like it was as much of a success or at least a, a moral victory last year, it makes sense because you're on that you're on that expedited clock. Like it's time to work, and you expect those, you know, those results. And so that becomes even worse than if you're just a middle of the pack team because you have middle of the pack talent. And to hammer that point, Roger, it, like why is that? It's because this is a title or bust team. It, it yeah. just is. You know what I mean? And even to give a quick contrast in my neck of the woods, like. Take the Kings situation and and apply it to a bunch of other different teams. The Kings can do a victory lap this season if they get in the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like that, they might throw a damn mini parade if they get in the playoffs. That's not the reality for a team like the Clippers or a lot of these squads because of the star power. Because when yeah. Kawhi and Paul came to town, you know, they thought they had the the cheat code and it just hasn't worked out that way. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. They say consistency is the key to success. They weren't wrong, but it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Michelob Ultra is consistently smooth, constantly refreshing, and consistently light. It's the perfect beer for watching what happens by the trade deadline and all season long. You know, it's only really worth it if you enjoy it. Like KD on the Suns and Kyrie on the Mavs, that's worth it if you want to enjoy watching how a transformed Western Conference team plays out the rest of the season. Michelob Ultra, the perfect balance of taste and refreshment. Only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Head to MichelobUltra.com right now. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Must be 21 years of age. Enjoy responsibly. You you brought up um, the Clippers, at least the play, from a player's perspective their pursuit of Russell Westbrook. Like they're not even making this a they're not even making this a secret. They're like, hey, anybody, any anybody, if you have your your your, your recorder out, come here and I want to tell you that <laughs> we want Russell Westbrook on the team. <laughs> how how likely is that to happen? And what is Russ's kind of standing in the league right now, right? Because man, it it, it was rough, it was rough in the, with the Lakers, right? And it it really did a lot for his reputation. His reputation is however you want to call it, it it wasn't good for Russ that experience right there. What is his the feeling about Russ around the league, and where what is the what is his most likely landing spot at this point? Because I know the Bulls are out there as well. He's currently with the Jazz, but the Clippers have done pun intended the full court press for Russ. Like where where does where is he kind of um, where is he at in this universe? So I mean I don't have total clarity on on where we should handicap those you know landing spots, but Clippers Heat Bulls. Thank you. The Chicago thing to me on paper looks really, really smart. And if you're Russ, you might want to just get a different vibe than LA after what just happened. Now, granted, family-wise, everything's set up for him out there. Maybe he would disagree. And and he's got the history with Paul. And if he has the the full backing of the Clippers group, then maybe he feels confident enough about the Clippers move. Um, I, I got mixed signals when I was in LA about 
how they saw that situation. It feels like one of those where the players are going to be on one track, front office, you know, maybe on another one. So we'll see how that turns out. In terms of desperation, though, which is always part of this calculus, I think the Bulls are are more desperate than the Clippers for somebody like Russ. Uh, One of our guys does a great job covering the Bulls at the Athletic, Darnell Mayberry, actually used to cover Russ in OKC for the longest early in his career, knows him really, really well, wrote a piece today kind of saying, you know, hear me out, here's why Russ works for the Bulls. And and he kind of had me buying it as I read his story. So, you know, I don't know where he's going to go, but the Chicago thing does feel, if you're Russ and you're you're obviously trying to extend this runway on your career, you don't want to go the way of Carmelo and ha- and just have a long absence where you're not even employed and 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 the perception being that you just couldn't look yourself in the mirror and come to grips with where you were as a player, you know, maybe in Chicago could have some some promise uh, is the way I see it. I think Clippers, you know, you go there and it's messy, guess what? You're the fall guy again. It's going to yeah. happen the same way it did with the Lakers. Yeah, that that was I'm, I'm glad you said that, but that cuz that's where I was kind of going with that. If I'm Russ, it, the interesting part is what are his priorities when making the decision? Like what 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 weighs heaviest and factors into that decision the most for him and just haven't been, you know, a free agent. There's a lot of play there, right? Like there's winning, there's, you know, I mean, he's made all the money in the world, but uh, and so when I say finances, I don't mean right now, but in terms of, you know, stretching that career out and and still being viable as a you know, as a as a player on a good championship level team, like in restoring the faith in that there's, there's all kind of stuff that goes in. And I would just say like, if I was Russ, not that, but I am a Russ fan. If there's any disconnect at all between front office and, and players, I'm staying away from that at all costs. That's what happened last time. That's what's up. I cannot afford that to the last point you just made. I'm going somewhere where they're like, yo, we want you. I'm looking the owner in the face, the general manager in the face, and you know what this is, and I need you to tell me that this is you. You want me here, and that and that's how I'm making this decision. I am not basing it off of feels, playing with dudes, like wanting to win. We're going to restore this. We're going somewhere where they want me. When did it get to the point, Sam? And I agree with Roger, bro. You 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 want to go where you where people? Well, everyone is on the same everyone. page, loving you, yes. bro. Where everyone is there. When did it get to the to the point with the Lakers? where it was just too much to bear. Because, you know, me and Raja see it on television, and, you know, I see the Lakers a few times out the year. But, you know, you're locked in one of When did it get to a point where it was a point of no return? Because there was a time, I'm watching the, the game, I think the, the Lakers game when, when Bron breaks the record, it was just an interesting microcosm in how that team is right now or was pre-trade deadline. You got LeBron going for a record. You have Russ playing very angry and one of the most interesting 27 point games I've ever seen, right? Where he's clearly (laughs) just like in defiance of the whole, of the whole organization and also probably knowing he's about to get traded. But when did they get to the point of that level of toxicity with Russ or as an organization in general, when did that point get to where it was just too much to bear? And it was like, okay, we can't even get through this season with Russ and we have to, we have to get rid of him, put him off the roster. So before I jump into the timeline, I would probably say, to me, what we can't forget is like they technically like they did not ever do the deal to just get rid of him. You know what I mean? Which I think it, it gets kind of framed that way. They did this deal because they got a lot back. And and part of that was they also obviously parted ways with Russ. But the whole time that this you know situation was unfolding, going back to last summer, all the way through the year, 
I would debate with with one of our guys about this, like who covers the Lakers, Jovan Buha. Like they're they're not saying yes to these trades where the only objective is to part ways with Russ. And I think that nuance kind of matters. And and that remained true until the end. But, you know, capital B, but things got really tough at the end. And honestly, if I look back on it, it starts when AD gets hurt. Because before he got hurt, they're winning some games. Russ is buying into his six-man role. Things are going okay. In mid-December, I think it was, I go down to L.A., and I ended up writing that, like, I was told from somebody who 100% would know that at that time, it was pretty unlikely that Russ was going to get moved because they saw the fact that he had bought in. They were playing games, and the people around, around they were winning games. People around him were no longer pointing the finger at him. So he wasn't seen as a big part of the problem. But when AD got hurt, now you're losing games. Now the fingers come out again, and, and it got more and more and more uncomfortable. Then, you know, and this, who knows, this stuff could wind up in a book someday. Like, then you get into LeBron coming up on the scoring record and the optics and the, the, the way everybody moved during that time. I almost feel like that was, you know, salt in the wound, if you will. Like, Russ is already kind of on the outs. And now the entire vibe is just all hail LeBron. Like, that's kind of how things are. And, and Russ, I think, you know, you know, not just ever speak for a guy, but like, it feels like he's looking at it like, all right, we're trying to play ball here. And and now you've got all this pomp and circumstance happening. And for it to kind of peak on that night when he breaks the record, you know, when there's all this studying of AD on the bench and what he's doing and all these things, like the mood was not good um, for any of them. And LeBron's kind of out there on his island celebrating with his family. Uh, so at the end, it was bad. It was really bad. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's so funny. It's crazy. It was weird, man. It was weird. I mean, this was a long time ago, Logan. I don't know if you remember this. And we talked about Russ. And I really felt strongly that for that to have any success um, and, and for Russ to buy in, it's, it's, it, would have been, it had to be consistent. And so he had to be in that place and in that role and the things around him that would stop him from playing a bigger role had to consistently be there, like be available and be playing up to the level that would clearly, you know, mandate that we, this is where you need to be, Russ. We're winning. These guys are doing their job as the alphas. And so here's how you fit into that equation and any wiggle off of that script, i.e. like injury and person out of the lineup or people not playing well, or even losing was going to let someone like Russ and allow him the wiggle room to get up out of that box. And then the shit throw started again. Right. And Oof. like, but that's for, for me, I mean, it's bigger picture, like broader strokes. It's, you know, their inability, like, again, it's, it's not AD's fault necessarily, but, but when you're injured as much, it's really difficult for any team, not just the Lakers. Like we were just talking about the Clippers when people aren't available and they're in and out of lineups and they're injured and we're going on stretches and we don't know if they're back for 20 games. That shit's really hard for even professional athletes to figure out how to win in that environment. What about, there's also the LeBron element to this. Uh, as you know, Sam, you know, you're running Lakers a lot where, you know, I don't know if LeBron necessarily has veto power, but he does have power, a lot of power within that organization. When did the disconnect between him and Russ become too much to bear? in that way, right? Because there's, there, you could see, I don't know if that clip was, it looked like the Sacramento Kings locker room 
or the visitor's locker room, Sam, where they have the, the famous video now where, where uh, LeBron's like, let's go get greedy. And then Russ is like, all right, guys, let's just have fun. Have fun. Let's do that, right? <laughs> but there seemed to be a disconnect just from those two guys. And both of those guys are alpha. Make no mistake about it, right? Like, no matter what happens, Russ is an alpha, and he's used to owning locker rooms. That's just, that's literally yeah, yeah. how he, why he's a future Hall of Famer. But where was that? When did they come to that disconnect? Because... LeBron is one of the guys that was the big, biggest voices in getting Russ in purple and gold. Now they are kind of going apart. When did that, when did that happen? And when did it get to a point where it was like, nope, it's, I got a tweet about Kyrie coming into town now. (laughs) (laughs) And I got to sit down with Michael Wilbon and talk about it. Yeah. I mean, it ebbed and flowed. I think, um, one of these days, maybe when LeBron's a lot older, I don't care if it's on the shop or ESPN or our place. I don't care where the interview happens. I really want to see the interview where we get the truth from LeBron about the Russ experience. Because to your question, I found it fascinating all the way through. You know, when they kind of recruited Russ, they're looking at DeMar DeRozan. You know, they're even kind of flirting with Damian Lillard at that time, as you've written and talked about Logan. Um, All that stuff's happening. And, And LeBron absolutely was a driving force in picking Russ. And personality wise, you know, my first reaction was like, oh, wow. Like, I mean, I've been in. Russell Westbrook locker rooms. They they can be tense. They can be you know intense and not and not always in a bad way. But like you know, LeBron's a, a light guy. LeBron's a fun guy. Uh, you know, how's that part going to go? You know, to your question about how it you know when it got too bad, I think it ebbed and flowed. You know, I had somebody tell me the other day, and probably oversimplifying, but it was you know kind of put to me that like thirty days after Russ came to the Lakers, that it was already like this vibe from LeBron that that, oh, maybe this wasn't the right way to go. You know, it's like, wait a minute. Like, we had <laughs> Buddy Heald, you know, on the table um, coming to the Lakers that deal with the Kings. That- and LeBron wasn't making it a secret that of his disdain for Russ when he did have disdain for Russ. Like, he would just, it, he was very subliminal on how he talked about it. But you guys know, like, uh, and behind the scenes, LeBron was really just, he, he would occasionally pop shots at Russ. I think, I mean, he, he, and I, to be fair to LeBron, like I didn't come across a ton of that. I, I, what comes to mind for me is early on, but it, but this does speak to the personality difference. You know, I remember when Russ had a terrible home opener with the Lakers. Remember that? I forget who they played, but, you know, against really, the Warriors. We were both at the game, I think. Yeah. yeah. And you remember how LeBron, like, it was almost like he was post game therapy for Russ publicly, like during his press conference. He's talking about how I told Russ to go home and hug his family and watch Netflix and, you know, it was just kind of like, but the the takeaway for me was that LeBron had just gotten like his first real front row glimpse at like Russ's intensity where he, his inclination was to just kind of tell him, hey, just go find something to binge and go relax. Like this is not the end of the world, but that's not how Russ is wired. So you, you kind of had, you know, signs early on of, of how they were just different. And AD absolutely was part of that on the LeBron side. Like AD is a pretty light guy. And, and they do, I think, off the floor, have genuine affection for him. And again, in the interest of fairness, like people speak really, really highly of Russ as a person. And there was always that qualifier. But as a competitor, um, you know, th- this was a mismatch. And the fact that, to your question about like, when did LeBron feel like he was out? It was, it seemed fairly early. And I think that made the whole thing incredibly challenging because of what they had lost to to make that move. You know, they they were going a different direction. They were doing that deal with the Kings that was basically done. And next thing you know, word came down, you know, from kind of the superstar heavens that that wasn't the way they wanted to go. 
Just uh, I, it, part of me just wants to like to your point, and I, I do want to get to some of the other trades. We'll do that after after I, I say this, but like. I do want to get to a point where LeBron just has true serum because, you know, LeBron's super calculated. It was like he's so calculated that I was almost happy to see him like around Kareem, like after he broke that record because he finally just let the guard down. But um, I'm going to be curious to see like what he how he truly feels the fact that like he kind of made this mess and waste not wasted two years, but like a lot of this has to do with what what he did, his decision making. I will be curious to see like how he now will not say spins it, but I would love to hear his truthful take on how he feels about this one day. I mean, I think it's good for the Lakers' purposes right now that they at least did enough at the deadline. This kind of goes back to the stuff we were hitting on before. They did enough at the deadline to where he might not be looking square in the mirror but he's at least glancing at it. You know what I mean? Like he, he tweeted the line about maybe it's me when Kyrie, <laughs> <laughs> when, when Kyrie went to Dallas, but the undercurrent of that to me guys was, you know, like he had been informed that the Lakers put both first round picks on the table and all of his frustration with the Lakers to that point, had been, you remember how he's tweeting about the Rams GM, you know, F them picks, and like that was his whole narrative was, if only they would put those picks on the table, I could get the kind of help that I deserve. And even we had written that, that had been the sense. And it's like, oh, wait a minute, they they did put the first on the table? And then, you know, the deal just went the other way, and, and Dallas had a better package. So politically right now, that's a good thing for the Lakers because he can't accuse him of, of just not at least attempting to do something here. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerMBA. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerMBA right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. If you're busy like me and you're trying to catch your kids' games, it's important to have somewhere where you can go to find a good hotel. We're all over the place. Sometimes... You know, we're in Florida, we'll be in New York. You want to take the wife on a quick vacation and get away? Whether you're looking for a relaxing getaway or heading out of town to see the playoffs, Hotels.com app has a perfect hotel for every trip. Compare up to five hotels side by side so you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings without having to switch back and forth between options. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today. Logan, Raja, what's going on? Realest of ones, you know who it be, Joe me. And I got a quick question for the two of y'all ballers, shot callers, okay? The Lakers put Russ on a bus and brought D'Lo to crypto. With all the moves they made over this trade deadline, they're like basically a whole different team. Do they still have a shot to make a run in the playoffs? Or are these moves just setting them up for next year? I'll take my answer off the air. I want to go to talk about 
the dismantling of the Brooklyn Nets and just the ramifications of that really quickly. So, uh, and just go to the other side of that trade. You were just in um, in Sacramento to see uh, Kyrie and the the Kyrie and the new look Mavs with Luka Doncic and, and just the new look Mavs in general. Where are the where are the Mavs head at right now? Right, because are they in the mode where they feel like they have to sell themselves on Kyrie because Kyrie has not signed an extension yet. What is that dynamic like? And what is the, what are the early vibes telling you about Kyrie and the Mavs and where that's going to be as a partnership going forward? Ah, uh, man, to be determined, you know, I think it's gonna be fun to watch. Um, you know, they, they lose to the Kings in the debut with Luca and Kyrie together, but you see glimpses it's, you know, and this part was actually a lot of fun to watch. Like it's, it's cool to watch stars. Like, you know, these are high level stars, Luca, Kyrie, you know, go through the creative process of figuring out how to play with one another. And so it's a tight game in Sacramento. And and late in that game, you can see the deference coming from Kyrie because it's Luca's team. And then at the end, and, and Luca spoke on this afterwards, uh, in the OT period, you know, he ends up missing a step back three from the left wing when Kyrie had, you know, maybe had a, a better look off to the side. Luca says publicly, I should have passed it back to Kyrie. And so, like, they're figuring it out, you know, the, the power structure, and they're going to be good. That's the here and the now. Uh, you know, defensively, they're going to struggle. We know that. But it feels big picture very much like it's a trial period. Um, I would not be shocked at all if Kyrie was somewhere else this summer. And even the fact that the way things unfolded after that trade went down, I think probably applied a fair amount of pressure to the Mavs if, if they, in fact want to have some kind of long-term relationship with Kyrie, you know, you look up a couple days after you get all the NBA headlines and and now here come the Phoenix Suns with Kevin Durant, you know, in the Western Conference. And oh, by the way, and with a point guard and Chris Paul, whose contract next season is only guaranteed for for half his salary. And there's an avenue for if if you need to, you know, bring Kyrie out to Phoenix and get him back with Kevin, you can do that. If Kyrie wants to go to the Lakers, you can do that. You know, like the, the Mavs, do not have pole position here, in my opinion. And, you know, and I don't know, I don't know if they want it yet. They got to see how it looks, but the landscape changed quick. All right. I, I got a few thoughts. Number one, to answer your question, Logan, that you originally asked, like there's, it doesn't matter what it looks like with Kyrie right now. It's of no consequence because if he's proven nothing over his career is he, it, it don't matter what it looks like right now because tomorrow he can make his mind up that something wasn't right or he was offended and he just moves different in that way. It's not even, I don't necessarily see it as a negative. I see Kyrie as a dude and, and, uh, an athlete as a human being that doesn't subscribe to having to like conform to what you think normal is in the way, uh, an NBA player or athlete in general is supposed to act. Like he just does kind of what he wants to do. Now, if I were on his team and I've said this before, sometimes that can be really fucking selfish and it can put teams in, in really shitty spots. But, but, uh, I think he just really is a dude who was like, yo, that shit could be really good today. And I could have all the feels and really want to be here. And I could wake up two days from now and just tell you, Hey man, I'm, I'm good. I want to be out. He just, it's the way he moves, right? Like he's giving me enough of a sample size. Now I do have a question, Sam. I don't know if you can really answer this. I'm fascinated by it. The relationship between KD and Kyrie, like, is that, is it still really strong? Like, cause you mentioned the possibility of maybe, you know, in the future, like w w did KD like deep down harbor any like 
kind of resentment for the way Kyrie moved in Brooklyn? Sure. Like, I don't know. I don't, I'm, I'm yeah. asking. Like, I, I, no, I honestly don't. I mean, Logan looks like he might know. He's nodding. I, I don't truly know. And I, I think common sense tells you, I think outside looking in, we look at it like, how in the hell could you not? You know, I mean, you you had a plan. We know the video was at the Charlotte All-Star Weekend when Kyrie and Kevin were talking about teaming up together. So it went from that where Kyrie holds the two fingers up and says they got two max spots and, and that ends up being Brooklyn. And then you add James Harden to the mix and, and you had a runway where you could have been champions again. Um, but that didn't happen. It's hard to imagine he doesn't have some hard feelings over that. But also... Kevin in general just I think is a guy who compartmentalizes. I really think he does. And I think basketball wise, if he looked at it and saw Kyrie as the best path to, you know, more success in Phoenix, maybe he looks at it. And, and even quick final thought there, like I, I would like to know the current state of the the Durant Chris Paul dynamic. You know, there were times in the past where they didn't seem to be the best of friends. And, you know, mm. I mean, this league is you know, guys just end up deciding it's time to go to work and, and be professional and work together. But, it, you know, there's nuance, there's complications there. Um, but I don't know. I don't know where he's at with Kyrie. Yeah. If I had to guess, I think that they're, I think that they're better than most people would think. You know, I think that, you know, everything that I had heard when I was out there and and all the stuff that I, I, I'd seen, and I'm sure Roger can corroborate some of the stuff, some of the stuff that he heard. Whenever there was the front office stuff, it would always seem like Kevin and Kyrie were just against the front office and what they deemed were mess ups from the front office. It's and I don't think it's a coincidence that each time that Kyrie made a trade request, Kevin was right behind him and like, oh, okay, I guess we're leaving now. It wasn't and that's it wasn't yeah. one of those things where it seemed like they were like, okay, we're here until we're we're not. And their partnership is in Brooklyn has always been sort of together. Okay, I guess we're going to go to Brooklyn. And if it doesn't work out, then I guess we'll dip. But that's not going to affect our friendship. And I think that they're, I don't know, if, I don't think there's a beef at all. I think that it was, it's just one of those things where, um, you know, whether it's, it seems logical to to us or not. That doesn't really matter. But I felt like, you know, when and I've reported this in, in the past and I've said this type of stuff in the past where, you know, when Kyrie had a problem with the front office, Kevin was also like, man, why y'all not treating him good? Why y'all not? Why y'all not? Um, why are you guys not being better to Kyrie during this situation? Right. And he would always defend Kyrie. And even, even when I talked to him last year, he was talking about how, you know, it is frustrating that Kyrie isn't out there, but like, it's his life. And, you know, I respect him and I want to play with him for a long time. That was basically the gist of what it was. And I don't think that that changes. And also like, I don't think, I think that there is, if there is an opportunity, this is just what I just think. And I don't know if they've been in cahoots and thinking of these things, but I, w I could see a world where, you know, they play together again, right. Where it's just like, Hey, it didn't work out. It's not working out in um, in Dallas. Do you want to figure this out in Phoenix? Do you want to do that? I could see that them. I could see that happening. What you think, Rod? You, you smile. Jesus what Christ, you think, bro. That's a <laughs> Jesus. Jesus. God, duh. that's a lot. No, and 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 you might be right because I don't I don't know KD like that at all. And the compartmentalizing thing is 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 was really interesting to me because you know those dudes really do have an ability to kind of you know when you're when you're on a quest for legacy and championships and, and status as an all time great, you develop the ability to do that. So if, if Kyrie is the piece he deems gets him closer to all of that, 
I could, I could see that. But I, I mean, as a human being, like that, it would be really hard for me to believe that after all that transpired there in Brooklyn, Kevin Durant somewhere deep down in his feels, like it might not be the prevailing feeling he has for Kyrie, but somewhere deep down, you're like, yo, man, you, you fucking like some of that was some bullshit, bro. Like we, you know what I mean? Like, come on. On my end, it's like, bro, I, I came all the way out to New York and, you know, I was slated to go to the Knicks and now I'm going to the Nets and now I got to deal with this. How much of it, and Logan, with with all the time you spent, and we covered Kevin together during the Warriors chapter, but, you know, you've done a lot more deeper reporting with him. Like how much of this, not to get on the therapist couch, but like is, if you look at the arc here of the choice to leave the Warriors, I feel like there's an element potentially here of stubbornness from Kevin in terms of like, if you, if you admit that you're frustrated by Kyrie, that it almost makes it like, it's an indictment of all the choices you made before, you know, like you chose to leave a warrior's environment that across the league, people would agree, you know, has been the healthiest out there for a long time uh, until recently. But like, you know, you made these choices and, and if you sit there and say, damn, I screwed up and it's because of this guy who is frustrating me, you know, maybe you don't want to make that admission. Yeah, I, it's it's interesting. I don't really have a great answer for that. If he if if it, if it's a because um, we, we both know in covering Kevin, it can just be a whole myriad of different things going through his head and stuff, sure. right? But yeah. I don't know. I don't know if 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 it. I, I struggle because I'm I'm on the fence of he does care about you know his Warriors legacy because he always talks about it, right? And he's always it's always being relitigated, um, but. In this case, I think, I think he was a bit removed from the Warriors um, situation, and I could be wrong. I'm also speculating on this particular question because I hadn't thought about it. I'm kind of thinking it through as you're as you're saying. I I think that no matter what, he was going to leave the Warriors. That that he already had a plan in that 19 season. He was going to go. Um, I don't think he foresaw all of this happening. And I think he's more of in the now than than anything. I think that he's come to grips with, you know, how he feels about the Warriors in that era. And I think he's also at, I think all those parties are invo- involved are kind of at peace with like him leaving. And I think that they're all kind of like Kevin and the Warriors, at least the players are kind of like this, right? They're kind of, they're, they're, um, his relate Katie's relationship with Draymond is really good. His dr- relationship with Steph is really good. His relationship with with um, with Clay is really good. Um, but I think that that um, I think that he's more of just like you know I, I can't speculate on what he thinks, but I don't think that it would be a cascading of like damn you know I can't admit this because people will admit this about me and about sure. admit this about me. Yeah. At minimum, I love the fact that, like, if you look at Kyrie's choice that he's going to have to make down the line, that you we got into the KD complications. You know, I mean, shoot, if he goes to L.A., you know, it wasn't that long ago that we thought it was wild to have LeBron and Kyrie under the same roof again. And now you see how and part of it, and I've never been in this position, if you're an elite talent like that, you got to at some point realize, like, if I'm trying to succeed and partner up with guys on my level, there's only so many of them. You know, and yeah. and you see, especially over the course of time, how wounds can get healed and and things can you know get better. I mean, the idea that LeBron was recruiting Kyrie is not something I would have seen two three years ago. Yeah. Now, I wanted to ask Raja about this. I know he had something to say, but Ra, when when you it's isn't it interesting that the reason why Kyrie left LeBron was to like have his own team and be his own man in a lot of ways, and now 
he this could either go one or two ways like he there's a i mean there's always a chance i don't know if like how big of it how how I don't know how likely it is that Kyrie will be a Phoenix Sun. I don't even know where it's at. And I do want to ask about, like, there's a new ownership. There's a lot of things at play before Kyrie right. can even think to go to Phoenix. Like, I think, I don't know if it's even that much of a possibility. But isn't it kind of, you've been around Kyrie. How is it the fact that, you know, he, what does it say about him that, you know, he fought so much to have his own thing to now, he there's a potential that he could go back to LeBron and could be the third best player on a team and now go back into do all that to go back into the situation that he was in a few years ago. Well, I mean, I, I what does it say about him? I mean, I think, you know, I think it speaks to where, where he was, um, you know, in terms of his maturity when he decided to leave LeBron o- overall, big picture, um, you know, as, as a, as a young star in the NBA. And I think it's a pretty natural kind of progression that most players go through where you come in, even if you are this great talent, like a lot of them, you know, in the best situations, get someone, you know, that can kind of mentor you and tutor you. And I talk about this all the time, right. And kind of, you know, LeBron Kyrie had those lean years and LeBron came in and not unlike LeBron going to the heat um, where he says he kind of learned how to win. LeBron comes in, helps Kyrie get to where Kyrie wants to go and feels like, okay, and I've learned how to do this now. I want to try it on my own. I think that's a, that's natural for those apex predators to feel like, yo, I want to take my swing at that. I think, you know, but as you mature and as you go out and as you, you know, try and, and either succeed or fail, you realize, Hey, I can either do this on my own or and that's a lot, you know, and maybe not everyone's built for that. Like uh, only a select few are, and that doesn't take away any, of your brilliance as a player, but like not everybody can do that. Not everybody can carry the weight of a franchise and win championships. And so, you know, I think as he matured and trial and error and, and figuring it out, I think he's at a point where he realizes, Hey, listen, to win those chips, you know, I might be the most gifted player with the ball in my hands on our team, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm the face of this and that I'm, I'm the guy that has to carry the brunt of the, uh, of the, of the media and, and of the responsibility of being the face of this franchise on my shoulders. I don't think he operates great in that space personally. Now I I don't, I've never asked him about it, but just from the outside looking in, you know, I think that's what it says, Logan. It says like, look, I've matured. I understand this now. Like I tried that for whatever reason, it might not even have anything to do with my specific skill set or the way I play, but all of the shit behind the scenes and all of the accountability and all of the, you know, there's a lot that goes into being that dude. I don't want that. <laughs> and so I, I, you know, it's okay though. That's not, listen, that doesn't, yeah. I could say all of that and say he's still maybe the most talented person in the world with a ball in his hands, but the yeah. rest of that requires a lot and not everybody wants that. I want to ask you a question real quick though. I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Cause the last time we was on here, you and I had a little, a little disconnect on, on our, on our thoughts about Brooklyn as it, as it pertained to the moves they were making and where they were. Right. And then a couple other dominoes fell. So I'm curious, right. I took a lot of heat lightweight for what I said about, Did you? about the Nets. Yeah, I took a little bit, a little bit. Um, what, what are our feels about them? Because we touched on them, but... My thing on this, and I'm curious to get Sam's point of view on this. My, my point of view is this is... The Nets right now are probably at like... They're back at what they do best, which is yeah. accumulating picks, which is developing guys that you might not think would be as good as they are, developing guys into being overachievers, right? And getting to a place where they can build a 
foundation to maybe get or trade for a free agent, right? Which is what they did in 1819. The problem is they have not proven, for better or worse, that, and this is also a, 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 this is a very unique case, but they have proven at this point, and I'm curious to get Sam's point, they have proven that they, at this point, don't know how to handle superstars and what they can and what superstars bring in terms of baggage and how you manage that. So that's a question that they're going to have to ask for themselves. And so when that comes back around, which I'm sure they want to get in the star business, they, they, they're the Brooklyn Nets. They're in New York. You want to have star power when you're on that team, when you're competing for viewers or people away from the Knicks. When you're in New York, you want to have stars. It's going to be interesting because I think that they they have the, the infrastructure to build back into, you know, a borderline po- playoff team. But I think the next step is they're going to have to learn from this experience and figure out how they are going to manage the star player and star talent. What do you think about that? What do you think about where the Nets are, uh, Sam? But also but what I said, I mean, you, you're locked in as well. Like, what do you, what do you think about about that? I mean, the first question that comes to mind for me is is one for the summertime and the job security of Sean Marks and his front office, just being real. Like, there had been chatter all throughout the season, even a little bit going into last year, that, you know, front office people, and this is, it's a cold game, right? So, like, people who are always looking around, trying to figure out, you know, well, I work here, but but I wouldn't mind working over for this franchise. Like, it, these executives have a vested interest and trying to have their finger on the pulse of of who is in trouble around the NBA. And you would hear the Nets group's name come up pretty regularly. And I can't imagine that all this messiness that that led to the, you know, just dramatic breakup of what they had going helps when it comes to that dynamic with Joe Sy, their owner, and and Sean. So I'm curious to see if if, how Joe sees that this summer. How does Joe Sy feel about you know, the part that Sean Marks and his group played in the way things went down, you know, because, and that matters because it's going to be who's making the calls here, you know, in terms of how they did. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a hell of a lot better than losing future hall of famers and then having an empty cupboard. You know what I mean? You're talking about five first round picks, a pick swap, these seconds, um, you know, and a bunch of really good players, the Cam Johnson's and Mikhail Bridges, you know, Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, what they got back for Jay Crowder and the Bucks deal. So they've got options, they've got avenues, they've got a lot of game planning to do. Within all of that, it becomes, okay, who, if you're going to get back in the star business again, who is it? Who are you trying to pluck? You know, who is up free agency-wise or who is unhappy and, and you're trying to look at trade-wise? You know, I know names come to mind for me and, and they might need to take a breath before they even think about going down that road, but they have options. You know, they're, they're not left flat-footed, I don't think at all. So let's get to the Phoenix part of it. Um... I keep teetering back and forth on if Phoenix is the favorite to come out of the West because, man, the talent level is so great there. And I'm curious to see what they do with their bench. And Katie is so good. And Devin Booker is, is really good. And they, you know, and same with Chris Paul. What is, what are you seeing from them? What do you think, where do you think that their ceiling is? Where do you think that they can go? And what what are your... Is this say, oh, we we can win a title right now, or is it like, hey, we got these guys, and 
maybe we we can round out the roster when we do it over the summer and we'll go for a title. I know they want a title this season. But what are the realistic possibilities of that happening? I think that they can get out of the West. I do not think they could beat the Celtics coming out of the East. I don't think that they can they can win a title necessarily, but I do think they're obviously contender. Where do you see them right now? Wait, so just so, 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 when you just plug Celtics got plugged in, right? So I just I didn't I didn't miss that. You just plugged them in. We're not I even going to have think, a conversation about that, huh? Like that convers- Okay, okay. I'm just I just I had Giannis in my head. Like Giannis got no love over here, you know. Jay Crowder just added to the mix. Like what? <laughs> that's why. That's why you my dog, bro. That's why you my okay. dog. No, we All good. Right. We good. I was just curious. I was say this, bro. I man, that against the Eastern Conference. I think. I think there's, they got to go up against the Celtics would be tough, against the Bucks who would be tough, against the Sixers if they make it would be tough, right? But I think in the Western Conference, I think they have a obviously a legitimate chance to come out of the West. I, I should have named the other teams, excuse me. But if they go to the Eastern, <laughs> play any team against the Eastern Conference, I don't think that they're getting out of that. What do you think uh, about their ceiling? What did... They, the, the Suns are in an interesting place. They have new ownership who is trying to make a big splash, they they are, you know, they have some older pieces. They don't have the depth that they used to, but they have a rejuvenation. Where do you see the Suns right now, Sam? I like what they what they have, and I don't agree with I think they could win the whole thing. And and I got memories of covering that Bucks uh, Suns finals, you know, the the Suns being up two games, you know what I mean? And and that's without Kevin Durant. Um mm-hmm. this is a team that that, you know, they they took a downturn. They've had injuries. They've had the DeAndre Aiden messiness, all that stuff. Um, you know, if Kevin can be healthy, if they have health as a group, I think they're on the short list to get this thing done. But chemistry is going to matter. We got to see, you know, I, I hate trying to analyze these super teams because I have been wrong so many times in the past. Like, I mean, I thought the Russ thing was going to work with the Lakers, which I'd have to keep repeating because I was so wrong. Like, it's fine. You got to own these. We were too. We, 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 that, oh, yeah. that year, I think we picked the Lakers and the Nets to go to the finals that yeah. year. That, that <laughs> was far from the truth. And so then, and so who knows if Kevin gets out there and D book is, you know, not happy that he's getting a few, fewer shots. And if Chris Paul looks like he's, you know, even older than he is, um, you know, I don't know, but I have a great amount of faith in Kevin as a player. The guy is just incredible. And I think, you know, shown, throughout the course of his Warriors tenure. And, you know, the, the Thunder thing was different. It was KD and Russ. But, like, the Warriors thing showed his ability to adapt was remarkable. And to be himself, even when surrounded by great talent, you know, that's a blueprint you can apply now to the Suns. Um, they're they're going to be monsters. I mean, D-Book, you know, I talked to him early this season. And, man, things changed quickly. But, like, we did this long interview where, he was kind of sarcastically joking, like, yeah, man, I guess I'm not even in the MVP conversation. When at the time, like, his numbers were just bonkers and they were winning games. You know, then they had health stuff, then they started losing. But Devin, when healthy, is a beast. Um, so I like what they have. Chemistry, you know, we joke about the Bucks and all that. If you just talk about the elite squads, Milwaukee and, and a short list of teams like that, the continuity is going to be their friend in the playoffs. You know what I mean? Like that's where they have it all over teams like the Suns and some of these other teams. But I think they could do it right now. I think their intention is to do it right now. This is not a slow build. I mean, Kevin, with all the the injuries he's been through, you know, you cannot wait whatsoever. The key though, Roz, Devin Booker, that's the key because we've seen what he's done in the postseason or and also what he hasn't done. It's a big, it's mm-hmm. a big, 
po- spring for Devin Booker. Oh, one one hundred percent for a lot of for a lot of reasons. But you know, I think I think I hope he's at a point in his career where the priorities are are in place. And by that, I mean like you know, you young players, you're you're trying to be that MVP. Like that could be the focus. Like, yeah, I'm going to say we want to win a championship, but if 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 we're being honest, like the MVP, I'm not saying Devin Booker specifically, but just a young player. Like you win a championship because everybody says that. And yeah, we'd love to do that. But my, I want to get that MVP, right? Because that's sometimes how a young player can think. And I think Devin Booker having been to the places he's been in the playoffs and and come up slightly short is at a place in his career where he makes that work. At least I, I hope that's where we're at, right? Because I think, you know, the Suns deserve that. He deserves it. Chris Paul deserves it. Um, the, the Valley deserves it. And so I think he's at that place. And what's, you know, I, I look at it kind of like Golden State from this perspective. Like, obviously, Golden State had won a championship already. But if you just embrace, like like Golden State players embrace the bucket that is Kevin Durant and what what he does in terms of freeing you up as a Devin Booker or a Clay Thompson or even a Steph Curry, you know, offensively, because he can have a bad game, Devin Booker, now. Yeah, like you don't, you gotta have a fucking bad game, and you got Kevin Durant, like he, right. and also on the other side of that, Kevin Durant can have a bad game. Well, well, well for, for sure. When was the last with the variance of stuff? Like, when was the last time KD could just have a bad game and they beat like his team would be okay? And Raja, too, this is this is your expertise, uh, real quick. Like, what about the defensive side of the ball? Like, not only can he have a bad game, but guess what? He can guard his ass off, and from an energy standpoint. He's got a little more in the tank on that end because of the help. Sam, I'm going to tell you like this, man. People, you know, don't realize when you're talking about these stars and what they have to do offensively, right? Right. And I didn't have respect enough for this either because I was a defensive player, right? No one really asked me to ever carry the load offensively. So I got traded to Charlotte, tell a quick story. And we, we didn't have a ton of like guys that were the primary focus of your offense. But, you know, usually it's Raymond Felton, Gerald Wallace, like those guys were our primary scorers and I was more of a role guy. But for some reason, one of them was out. And Larry Brown in Portland decided, you know, I'm going to run offense for you tonight as if I had Reggie Miller or Rip Hamilton. Like, you know, I like to come off screens, catch and shoot and all of that. And so it, I became the primary offensive player. I was exhausted. I couldn't guard <laughs> shit. I couldn't because that's a lot of work, man, like trying to do that. And so you're absolutely right. Like the, uh, again, just the insulation that provides all around, um, allowing you to do more things and, and take on, you know, extra responsibility in certain areas. I just think it's a, if accepted and, and embraced, and I really believe they're at a point where they'll do that. Cause I have all the faith in the world in Monty. I think James Jones is a, is, is a young star. I just think that they'll get that right now, whether they win the championship or not, you know, there's a lot that goes into that, but I do have faith in it, and I think they'll 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 be there in and about. Hey, get Raja Bell in the building for a playoff game, Phoenix Suns. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We got new ownership. It's time to lock in with you know what I mean. Get him in the we building. Might have to take a trip to the desert. I might have to go out to the, take I a trip to Sky Harbor. Sam, before we get you out of here, I have like I have I have some rapid fire, and then we'll get you out of here. I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you three teams. And I just who didn't really make the moves that we thought eh, I'll give you two teams we thought we were probably gonna make a move and they didn't do it one of those teams being Atlanta which is obviously your wheelhouse um, with the John Collins situation why aren't the Hawks just making a decision and getting rid of John Collins what is the hold up there what are we and when is there going to be some level of 
we always talk about dysfunction. When is there going to be some function going on in Atlanta for once? What, what is there a light at the end of the tunnel there? Now you got to bring the Hawks up. Like Roger said earlier, he's taking heat for certain things. That, that heat just still hot. No, you got to bring the Hawks up. Let's get it. They don't like me out there. Um, I, you know, I think they kicked the can to the summer. That's the, the, you know, one of the motivating factors at the deadline for them beyond the basketball was that the way their books are structured right now, they're going to be looking at some luxury tax problems next year if they don't do something. But there really wasn't, you know, that much motivation financially, economically to clean that up now versus the summer. So I could see John moving in the summer. I don't know what they had on the table for John. The part of me that was a little surprised that he didn't move is that, you know, and maybe I made too much of this. I had one team telling me during the process that they had lowered their price tag on John and, and really it had become like, you know, they were trying to win now. So they wanted a, a decent player in return for him, but it wasn't like the old days when there were, you know, I mean, I think there were times when they were trying to get like two first for John, you know, the previous regime. Um, those demands had kind of gone away. A deal still doesn't get done. You know, I, I wrote a little bit about the great interest that they had in Bogdan Bogdanovich, a guy that other teams thought they might be able to pry away. You know, that didn't happen. I think partly they've been playing better lately. You know what I mean? And they obviously have to find a way to make this Trey Young to Jante Murray partnership work. So, uh, I, and, and even, I mean, I think partly what you're asking is like they got this new front office with Landry Fields running the show. And I mean, maybe not the worst thing in the world to to just keep getting more comfortable um, for the next four or five months and, and really figure out the nuance of this job. And, and from a preparation standpoint, go into the summertime, you know, you learn, you always learn about the market at the deadline. You know what I mean? Like there's all kinds of stuff I'm sure they learned at this deadline about their players and what's available to them down the road that will carry into the summer. And, and a lot of times that leads to moves at that point. But, you know, I'm okay with them, you know, not doing it. They, they need to win games. They need to be a, a decent playoff team this year. And I think they leaned into that. Did, and I lied, I got two more teams for you. The Grizzlies, are they going to regret not making a move this, this, uh, this trade deadline? I think so. What is this, like the, the Amic where it's hot list? Like these teams are going <laughs> <laughs> Let's get um, it. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's a regret. Again, it's always hard to analyze this stuff because I would love more than anything else to know what was available, right? So you're not actually saying, I can't believe that they weren't willing to give X for OG Ananobi. Like, I don't know exactly what that was. It was reported that they had three firsts on the table for OG. That's a pretty aggressive attempt to get a guy like that. So it's not, it doesn't appear to be for lack of trying. On their part, I think they know, you know, a lot's been made of John Moran's quote about, you know, now we find in the West and the second that he said that they were fine in the West, the West just became a monster and they're not fine in the West. Um, so they might ultimately regret it <laughs> because, you know, even the Nuggets got better. I kind of like the Thomas Bryant move, you know, like a big down low that could help them. Hey, hey I just want to, I just want to, no, 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 I'm not, sh I'm shaking my head. Yes. Okay. Thomas yeah. Bryan is an all Logan Murdoch team. I love Thomas <laughs> Bryan. He's one of my faves. I remember watching him in the G League. Also no saw defense, him all buckets. <laughs> oh yeah. That's my vibe. Yo, man. I remember watching him at like UCLA and in the G League. Just, a, just a dude. I love, yep. I love Thomas Bryan. I'm on the fan club. Yeah. And the West is just, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Even a quick aside, like being in Kyrie's press conference the other day in Sacramento, it was kind of surreal, like to see Kyrie in the West and even his perspective, yeah. like he actually talked about it. Somebody asked about De'Aaron Fox and Sabonis and he says, 
he's like, yeah, you know, learning De'Aaron's game a little more because now I'm in the West. Like the, the you know, the uh, the idea that that he's part of the West with KD now again is crazy. So the Grizzlies will, I think, probably regret it. They they have an incredible core. Some of their guys they've been trying to develop in house um, are not coming along as quickly as I think they had hoped. So we'll see. I mean, they got plenty of juice, but they got plenty of competition. Last question, and this is going to put you on the spot. Um, and this is a question that me and Raja just just have on this podcast, wondering aloud: How many more years does Dame Lillard have in Portland, man? Because it's it's it seems like it's just for a guy of his caliber, it's it's been time. And I've talked to him. I know you've talked to him. He's just steadfast in Portland, loves it there. But how many more years, man? When are we going? How many more years are we going to have to continue to just go to a trade deadline where he just doesn't he doesn't want to leave? Or you, just he let, you, you had me Google. I just had to Google Lillard age just to confirm. You know, he's 32. Uh, birthday's in July. So 33 going into next season. Um, I don't, I mean, the part of me that does, I, I like homegrown stories, just guys that stay with the franchise, but I also like talent being showcased and being on the greatest stage. And, and Dame is one of those guys. So I'm torn when it comes to his situation, probably leaning towards, you know, I think it would be, Best for his career, my opinion doesn't matter as far as his decision making process, but like to find a spot um, because I don't, I don't see it. Um, you know, they don't have the the pathway to being an elite team anytime soon. I would you talk about wanting to know how guys truly feel. Like, man, wh- where is his head at with this whole Gary Payton the second situation? Like, Gary was a guy that it, it was a, a subtle move, but when they brought Gary to Portland. He was real happy about that. That's a, a dog defensively that could help him. Also, out. somebody that he grew that Gary grew up around Dame. Right, so, like, right. Yeah. Same agent, which you know is part of the game with Aaron Goodwin and the messiness now, where the health is the health. Gary just couldn't get right and had the abdominal problem. But but now the you know the optics around their controversy with the Warriors, um, you know, it's just messy. Uh, so yeah, I don't know how many more years, but. The message remains the same, and you know. And last I checked, it just continues that he's, you know, he does seem to have a, a lot of confidence in their GM Joe Cronin. Um, seems to have a good relationship with Jody Allen, who gave him that massive contract, and uh, and and I don't really see any end in sight up there. <sighs> Always started, ended on depressing. I know that's depressing for me. I'm gonna lift it up this summer. Who knows? Come on, like. We, we know this much. Let, let's at least grab a quick breadcrumb. Like, Dame, and again, Logan, you wrote this. Something motivated him to engage with LeBron when, oh, yeah. you know, when the when LeBron was trying to figure out who to play with. And and as you wrote it, and it's been written, like, the story was, he, they they run into each other. Where were they? They were at a, a tournament. A Sparks right? game. A Sparks, Sparks game. game. Yeah. LA Sparks and game. LeBron kind of tells him to roll up, ends up, you know, but, like, he went to the house. Like he, he went to the house and, you know, I don't know about you guys, but if you're good at home and you're not looking left and right, you know, and some new hey, person listen. comes up, you don't go to the house. You As you know this though, <laughs> LA, LA ain't that far from Oakland. LA is not that far from Oakland. It's, it's, it's almost like, you know, a lot of people from the Bay go down to Oakland. I mean, go down to uh, LA for, for work. So, I mean, it could work. We'll see what happens. But um, thanks so much, Amick. Appreciate you guys uh, for coming on, bro. That's Sam Amick, senior writer at The Athletic, friend of the show. Come on anytime. And I mean that, obviously. I literally mean that, as you know. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, boys. 
This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more.